0: Hello everybody, my name is Ashley Smith. I'm the pastor of the Moulin Seventh-day Adventist Church and I have the the blessing this week of providing you some commentary on the Sabbath school lesson. So the lesson for this this week is called Choose Life. And we're looking ultimately, I guess, God's final instruction to the children of Israel before they head into the Promised Land from the book of Deuteronomy and how, I guess, basically, before the, the blessings and the cursings and such, we see that God is basically reminding the children of Israel to choose life and I guess choosing him I guess the ultimate consequence of choosing God is is choosing life and choosing life is choosing God. I'm just going to open up to the first scripture in our lesson today and I guess it sets the tone for our study and it's in Genesis chapter 2 and we're going to read a couple of extra verses here and this is from the creation account and I guess it talks about what God gave to humanity in the garden. And so he's given a number of things to them. So we're going to read verse 7, and then we're going to read on from there. So it says, And the Lord God, this is in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And we continue in verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We jump down to verses 15 through to 17. Then God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely dying. And when you consider what God made Adam and Eve, what he intended for humanity, it's very obvious from these verses that he's, he intends for them to live an abundant life. Everything that they ever consider needing, they they presently have. They're given a wonderful place to live. Not only have they been given a wonderful place to live, they've given each other, they're given intimacy with God. We also see that they're given responsibility and they're given a dominion. And Every single conceivable blessing is theirs. But even though they've inherited such, I guess, a great set of cards here, there's also the capacity for them to choose to reject the blessings that have been given to them or the blessings that have been afforded them. So I guess as I was reading these passages, a couple of things jumped out to me, and there's a reason why I read verse 7 in conjunction with the rest. And it's because you see this this similar kind of phrasing of words. And so in verse 7 it says... The Lord God formed. Then, in verse eight, says the Lord God planted. Then, in verse fifteen, it says the Lord God took. And so, in each and every one of those successive steps, we see the Lord God forming Adam, and then we see the Lord God planting a garden, and then the last one, he says, it says the Lord God took Adam, and basically that he gives him his responsibility. And I think this is a really cool thing because in these passages, we don't see a God who is distant or aloof and who is commanding things from afar but we see a God who comes near and I think that's a really powerful principle to consider in connection with the study for this week because we're going to see very clearly that this life that we are to choose is found in the person of Jesus Christ and that's in the connection with a relationship with him and so I just love I love the God who comes close in chapter two like he forms Adam from the dust to the ground. And so you get this idea of his hands getting dirty. And then you jump down to verse 8 and you go planting a garden. Hands getting dirty yet again. And, and then it says he, he takes the man and he puts him in the garden of Eden. It's like he leads him. He takes him by the hand and he leads him into this place of the garden. And says this is your responsibility. And so here we see a God who comes close. So every single successive step in this creation account, we're seeing the God who has not only given life, but has also given life in the context of a a special, unique relationship with the God of the universe who comes close to the first parents of humanity. And I just think that's such a wonderful thing. And as I was considering these thoughts, I was considering what Jesus says in John chapter 10, where he says, The thief comes to destroy and to kill, but I come that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. Because what was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden wasn't just life, but it was life in its abundance and i think that's such a beautiful thing however there are also conditions to this life and we got to recognize that yes they had been given this life and yes the blessings were theirs if they would continue to choose god's ways but there was also the opportunity for them to reject the overtures of god's love and to choose their own way and so even in a perfect environment it's important for us to understand here that god required obedience of his children now I will freely admit that I have heard people use obedience or the, they, they think of the word obedience and they think of it in a negative kind of way. They attach negative connotations to the concept of obedience. But biblical obedience is never seen negatively. And, and I want to make an important distinction from the outset of the, the study here today because obedience and legalism are completely different things. Legalism is not obedience. And obedience is not legalism. Legalism is doing something in order to get something from God. Obedience is following God because you trust who he is and what he said and you love him. And it's a natural consequence of that relationship. Doing things to get things from God, that's not biblical obedience it's it's legalism and legalism is not obedience and so we see these conditions here for this life and the life had been trusted the life had been given there's nothing that they had done that deserved them receiving this life or this responsibility that god had given them but there were still conditions for this life they had to abide within the will of their creator which was listen to what i say there is no life outside of me and you are free to choose whatever you you would desire to choose, but you're not free from the consequences of your own choices. And I guess the way that I consider it is I consider this special relationship, and I think about my own marriage relationship with my wife. And when I entered into a, the marriage covenant with her, I signed up to certain behavior. And I guess marriage supposes certain behavior. I will treat her as my one and only. And our relationship with God supposes certain behavior just the same. When we choose God, it means that we put him first in our lives and we follow him all the way. That doesn't mean that we can't choose another. We're free to choose whatever we want to choose. But the consequences of choosing another aren't beneficial for us. And as we see depicted here in Genesis chapter 2, the consequences of choosing another is death. If God is the embodiment of life, which he is, then to reject God and to choose another way, the opposite choice is always going to, the consequence is always going to be, he's going to be death. And so, just to think about what Jesus says, where he says, you know, the thief comes to destroy and to kill, talking about Satan, but he says, I come that they might have life and that they might have it in abundance. And I guess this whole principle just communicates to us the significance of actually making a choice and the fact that there are only two sides, and there have only ever been two sides. There's no middle ground here. And I guess the message to the church of the Laodicean, where it says, you know, how they're lukewarm, so in other words, they're in the middle. And how Jesus comes to them and says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There is no middle ground. By virtue of not making a decision, you're essentially making a decision. And through, I guess, when you consider like scripture, there's always the imperative of making a decision. And I can think of a couple of instances, Joshua, where he says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. And so the focus is make a decision. Come to the place where you choose, you make a choice. I think of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel where he says, how long will you will you waver between two decisions? If it's Baal, choose Baal. If it's God, choose God. In Paul in the New Testament, he says, today is the day of salvation. I guess the impetus is on making a choice. And from the biblical language, it's always spoken of as an imperative. Choose ye this day. You've got to make a decision. Paul, when you know he's appealing, he says, and why tarryest thou? He says, arise and be baptised there's always a significance in making a decision. And so there's a couple of verses that I just want to read out from the lesson here that I think are really significant that just show the fact that there's only two sides. The first one is John 3.16. It says, and you guys will know this for sure, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so we see choosing God results in everlasting life. And then here's another verse that I'll read to you that has a, a very opposite kind of, i guess conclusion from john three sixteen is talking about the story of noah and i guess the consequences of people choosing not to hop into the ark and so in genesis chapter 7 verses 22 and 23 the lesson gives a whole list of these verses but we're not going to have time to look at all of them so we're just going to look at these two but this is the consequence of not hopping onto the ark it says and in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life all that was on the dry land died so he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the earth, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And so I guess what you see here is you see the exact opposite of, of what Jesus came to offer here. I mean, the consequence of choosing God is everlasting life. The consequence of not choosing God is is death. And I guess the the, the question that some people may ask from this is, well, that kind of, stacks the deck against against anyone wanting to choose another path. The answer and the reality is this. If it wasn't for God, then those people that will reject him wouldn't have life just the same. And so the life that they have is a life that is borrowed from God anyways. And the lesson actually words it like this and I think it's a really valuable insight. It says right from the start the Bible presents us with just one of two options. Eternal life, which is what we were originally supposed to have, and eternal death which in a sense is merely going back to the nothingness out of which we first came. The sun shines on the just and the unjust just the same. The very breath that we have to praise God or choose to curse God comes from the Lord who gives us the life that we have. And so for for those that would reject God's mercy and God's love, it's important to, to recognize and to know that God has given them the capacity. He's given them the life. He's given them the opportunity to choose him just the same. And so... The gift of life that we have, we've got to recognize as a gift. It's not something that we're owed, but it's something that is given to us. And if God chooses to give life, that's his prerogative. If God chooses to take life, that's his prerogative. God respects our choices, whether we want to make the most of life that we've given or if we want to choose another way. God will respect our cho- And so here we, we come. I hope that makes sense. But here we come to the borders of the promised land and Moses is instructing the children of Israel. We're coming towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy here. And he basically, the children of Israel basically called to a point of decision here. And here's these final instructions from the the Lord. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 to 20, we see this beautiful, this beautiful instruction from God. And this is what he says. And there's so many cool thoughts, so many deep, profound thoughts here. See, I have set before you today life and good death and evil and so you see there's two kind of distinctions there's no fence it's either life and good or death and evil and what's communicated here is these two things these two realities have been set before you that you can make the best decision based upon the evidence that you see in that i command you today so there we see the imperative again sorry choose you this day the emphasis on making your decision today and that i command you today to love the lord your god to walk in his ways to keep his commandments his statues and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the lord your god will bless you in the land which you possess and so there's some important things that i think we should probably pause and talk about but there's a requirement for life as we looked at in in the the book of genesis that i guess covenant living or covenant relationship It looks a certain way. Having the privileges of being in covenant with God means that you live a covenant life. And what does that covenant life look like? It says that you will love the Lord your God, number one. And I guess it's self-explanatory that to love the Lord your God is the very first thing that he expects of us. Because any obedience that comes from that point onwards is coming from a place of love. So the first thing first he says, love the Lord your God to walk in his ways, so in other words, to follow him, and to keep his commandments. And it's interesting when you think of, I guess, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I guess I was reflecting on this a little bit here, you have a man by the name of Solomon who for some portions of his life, you know, he chose life, he chose God, and then other portions of his life, he chose his own way. And as he reflects on the entirety of his life, and as he's writing to instruct his his sons his children afterwards he reflects on his whole life and he talks about the aging process in ecclesiastes chapter 12 where he says the almond tree it blossoms and when the almond tree blossoms it goes white he says when the grinders are few in other words your teeth are falling out when a grasshopper is a burden in other words you can't lift things as you once did it's quite amusing language and then he gets down and in the passage and he says after he reflects on all of it and he says he says the the body returns back to the earth and the spirit to to he who gave it and then he says vanity all is vanity and so he reflects on the wholeness of human life and our greatest dreams our greatest triumphs and all the things that that we desire all the accumulations of wealth in which he had and he looks on all of it and he just like and he comes to the end of Ecclesiastes and I just love this passage of scripture in the context of, of what he's just said as he's reflecting on his whole life and he's writing this for his boys he says let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is meant all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good and evil. And so he says this is, just, this is the heart of everything. It's to fear God and to keep his commandments. It's to choose God's way, not your own. And we see this with the children of Israel here. God's like, hey, I want you to choose life. I want you to choose me. And I want you to love me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to keep my commandments. And the consequence of walking with me is that you will be blessed. And that's not necessarily earthly prosperity. But that's just the blessing of walking with me and the blessing of loving me. But the sad thing is in verse 17 there's also the consequences of not walking with God. And I think for, for, for those of us who, have li- who are listening here that I guess as they reflect on the course and the trajectory of their lives and as they reflect on their own testimonies and as I reflect on my testimony, I can, I can declare here today that there are times that I have chosen my own way. And the consequences of choosing my own way, there are things that I carry with me even today that I wish I didn't have to carry because of choices that I've made in my life. And we see this in verse 17. It says, But if your heart turns away... So you see this this shifting of the heart's focus. It's no longer loving the Lord and walking with him, but it's shifting to another love. And you do not, so that you do not hear, it says, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. I just love love what he says, that you may cling to, to him, for he is your life. And just what we spoke about beforehand, about the fact that The the just and the unjust, the, the righteous and the wicked. We all derive our life from him. In him we move, we live, we have our being. And we cling to him because he is our life and he is the length of our days. And so God is really, he's bringing this point home. The importance of choosing his way because his way is best. I do a lot of work with young people and I guess when you're young, you typically think that you know it all or that you're going to forge your own path and you're going to make your own decisions. Reflecting on a lot of the experience that I've had working with young people and I guess when I was younger, I'm 30, but I still I consider myself quite old. But when I consider working with young people and I guess a lot of what they tell me or, or, or what I hear them saying and the struggles and the battles that I see in their lives, it comes from a place where they're wondering whether God has their best interests at heart you know what i mean like they read the scriptures they see what the lord requires of them but there's this lingering doubt and the lingering doubt is i wonder if the grass is greener on the other side or i wonder if that fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil symbolically speaking metaphorically speaking here is actually all that it appears to be that choice comes to all of us And as we journey with God, we recognize very quickly, if we've ever chosen, I guess, the pathway of death, we recognize very quickly that what God has instructed isn't only for our benefit, but it's also for our safety and for our blessing. And sometimes the blessing of choosing God's way is that we're protected by God's way because God knows what's best for us. And the consequence of choosing the other pathway, it is just what it is, it's death. And I guess when you think about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, remember how Eve saw it and it says in scripture that it was pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, and it was good for food. It looked great. It looked wonderful. But the consequences of eating that weren't wonderful. The immediate consequence was nakedness, shame, and ultimately death. And so Satan dresses up his path in the best possible light. He makes it look better than what it actually is. He promises you the world, and he saves the worst for for, for last. He, it's death, and so he dresses it up. But isn't it interesting that when God calls that path, and when God talks about that path, He doesn't dress it up. He calls it death. He calls it for what it is, and He unapologetically declares that my way is the only way where there could ever be life. And so, He, got is really. I really feel as if God is appealing to His people here there's a whole lot more here that i guess i don't have time to flesh out but there is something that i really want to focus on and it's towards the end of the end of the lesson here and we read it a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 13 30 sorry where in verse 17 where it talks about if they turn their hearts and choose their own way and worship other gods and so i guess you see this repeated theme throughout Deuteronomy where god is warning them about worshipping the other gods turning their hearts from him and worshipping other gods other deities which are all false. There is only one God. And I guess when you think about that, they're rejecting God's authority and they're choosing to to follow the authority of the nations around them or or following the authority of their own heart. Now, I guess when you think about this is a recurring theme that you see throughout scripture. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. The great controversy theme is a theme that is based upon whose authority we are willing to follow. Whose authority we're willing to submit to. And the question is a simple question. But it has massive implications. Do I submit to the authority of Almighty God? Or do I submit to the authority of a created being or created beings? And that would include myself. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. The the great controversy in heaven with Lucifer, with Christ and Satan, when that started in heaven, it was based around this idea. And the idea was a simple idea. But it was a revolutionary idea. It was Satan's ways or Satan's ideas or Satan's agenda versus what God has said. And so there's two differing opinions here. A third of the angels subjected themselves or gave in to the authority of a created being instead of submitting to the authority of God. You come to earth and you see the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And here we have Adam and Eve first and then Adam later. And they submit to the authority of the serpent instead of the authority of god we come to the gospels and you can think of many instances throughout the old testament but you come to the gospels and and you see this common theme and it's a question of authority as a church we're studying through the the gospel of mark Um, pastor boris and myself we're we're doing doing a devotional reading plan with the church going through the gospel of mark and we're filming a podcast and commenting and, and talking about it but we're about three quarters of the way through and what we've seen from the very beginning of mark till about the the 12th chapter where we're in now is we see there's this question of authority and we see jesus coming with such an authority he's preaching in the synagogue and people are like man who man where does guy get this authority from he's casting out demons he's quieting storms on the sea of galilee he's walking on He's walking on water. He's feeding the 5,000. He's cleansing lepers. All these amazing things that Jesus is doing. And he just has this authority about him. And a lot of the instances where Jesus actually performs these miracles, he doesn't say in the name. Like he doesn't summon a higher name. He just declares it as it is. Like when he quiets the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he just says, peace be still. He has this authority. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, what you see that there's the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. They're following him and they're questioning his authority. And they're asking questions like, by whose authority do you do this? And within their hearts, as he says that, they say the spirit of Beelzebub, he does this. And so they're not really sincere in their questions, but they're questioning Jesus' authority the whole way. Whose authority are you doing this? And they're, basically, they're placing themselves where they're trusting the authority of man and the traditions of man instead of what Jesus is saying. And the prime example is where they're questioning Jesus' disciples by not washing their hands, as is custom. And... They come to Jesus and say, why don't your disciples follow the traditions of of the elders? And Jesus, have you ever read the scriptures? And so like they're basing their authority on the traditions of man. And then Jesus appeals to scripture. And that's a really significant thing. And remember what I just said. The issue, the core issue at the great controversy is whose authority we're willing to submit to. Is it the authority of almighty God and his word and what he has said? Or are we willing to submit to what others have said or what we feel inclined to say or what we feel inclined to believe? Now this is really significant because the final controversy or the final issue facing humanity is an issue of authority. In Revelation 13 what we have is we have the final crisis that humanity will ever face and it's a question of authority. Will we submit to the authority of man and what man has said? Or will we submit to the authority of Almighty God? Now let me just flesh this out just a little bit. In Revelation 13 you see this anti-Christian power. This sea beast. And then you see this lamb-like beast. And they both come together to enforce global worship. Now that word global is significant. It says the whole world worships the beast and his image. That's significant. This is a universal issue. This is the final issue for humanity before the soon return of our of, of Jesus. And it's universal. In other words, every single person has made a choice either for God or against him. They've either submitted to their own authority and the authority of others, or they've submitted to the authority of God. Now, there is a word that repeats itself time and time again in Revelation chapter 13, which so shows us the focus of this final test. And the word is worship. Five times in Revelation chapter 13, you see the word worship used. And each and every instance of this forced worship, it comes from that perspective. It's forced. It's compelled. It's coerced. Now, worship by very definition cannot be forced. It's freely given. And this issue of forced worship comes down to a day that has no authority in scripture. No authority from the word of God or what God has said. It comes from the authority of what man has said and that's Sunday. And then we come to Revelation chapter 14 verses 6, 7 and we come across this final call from the Lord to submit to his authority. To fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the seas and the springs of waters. It's really significant. We submit to God because we recognize, number one, that he is God and we fear him as God. We're not afraid of him, but we recognize that he is God and we recognize that we must follow him because his ways are just. And then we worship him in the way that he has told us to worship him, which is to worship him as creator. Now, how do we worship the creator? We remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The final issue that we see is the issue that has always been. But it's the issue that finally comes to head, to a head in a global, universal test to determine which side everybody's on. And the underlying question in this final test is this. Whose authority are you going to submit to? The authority of the beast or the authority of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? and it's always been that decision choose ye this day whom you will serve the imperative the focus is on today don't put off to tomorrow what god has called you to do today and if you're listening here today and you're thinking well i don't know if i really made that choice or right? i'm wavering in my choice i want to encourage you today to choose life to choose jesus the bible says in first john chapter 5 and verse 12 he who has the son has life he who does not have the son of god does not Have life. These things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Life is found in a person, it's found in the person of Jesus. And when we have Him living in our hearts, we have this life. So I pray that you'll bless today as you listen to, I guess, this commentary on the Sabbath school lesson. And I pray even more so that you'll make the decision with me to choose life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much that you've given us the privilege, the opportunity to choose and to make choices. And Father, with the liberty that you have given us, I just ask and pray that we may choose here today to serve you, to follow you, to commit ourselves, to surrender our lives to your authority, knowing and believing that your ways are best. Father, watch over us, continue to lead and guide us. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.